you like to know how to make better decisions for your business, your people, or yourself? Do you want to recognize when you make errors of judgment that cause the quality of your decisions to drop, and when you are moving away from, not closer to, your goal? Welcome to Because There's More with Laura Ellis. For the next hour, Laura and her guests will share experiences and insights that will challenge and stretch your thinking, help you recognize your biases, and ultimately guide you towards more predictable and accurate decisions. You'll walk away from this show feeling better informed, more inspired, and a lot more confident about your next big decision. Now, here's your host, Laura Ellis. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. Thank you for joining me and my guest today on yet another great show. Last week, we had Eldona Luis Fernandez, who talked to us about her craft, the art and science of negotiation. And Eldona shared some great tips on how we can become better negotiators. Today, it's a different kind of a show, in my opinion, highly educational and and also um informative to uh, people to show them that there is another way of uh, uh, doing things. So David Roddenberry, my guest, is an extremely smart entrepreneur uh, whose latest enterprise is, in my opinion at least, literally revolutionizing the weight loss space by providing people alternatives built on most recent knowledge of of human cognition and decision-making in order for people to make healthier diet choices and lose weight. Welcome to the show, David. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And, you know, you and I talked on the phone uh, uh, outside of the show, and once I make a connection between the work that uh, you do and decision-making, I think it becomes a clear giveaway that I'm going to be immediately fascinated by the work you do, which I am. Um, and I, I'd love to hear where does your approach fit. But just from my perspective, when I, I was preparing for today, I couldn't help thinking of you in similar terms as I think about Uber or Airbnb, and by that what I mean is that um, you have created leveraged science and, and more recent science and created a completely different way of taking what's been done to date in a field, mixed in what is being done in completely unrelated fields like behavioral economics, actuarial science, and created something so different that will likely shake up the entire industry. What's your perspective of where your work fits, and how do you view the work you do? Uh, well, uh, thank you for that uh, uh, flattering uh, description. I think that a lot of, um, uh, for a long time, we've thought of uh, weight management as an education problem. Um, like if we tell people um what they should do to be successful, uh, then they, you know, uh, as soon as they learn, they'll be able to uh, change their behavior. And I think our, our perspective is that it's it's not education at all, that actually most of us kind of understand what we need to do, eat less and move more, but we don't do it. So it's actually a cognition problem. And it's um, the, the, you know, the solution lies in behavior change and reframing our choices as opposed to providing us with more education. And so once, once you sort of, uh, if you accept that premise, 
then, um, you know, I think it takes you down, down a different route uh, for a solution. And, and for us, it's, it's about ex, uh, leveraging behavioral economics uh, and cho- uh, reframing choices, choice architecture to, you know, to drive better decision-making um, with, with respect to our um, health behaviors and, and weight in particular. And and that's exactly what I was uh, I was referring to the fact that you are taking uh, things that uh, advancements in in cognition and uh, decision making and reframing the whole field um, arriving to what I believe is going to as I said earlier revolutionize the entire weight loss uh, and weight management uh, mindset and and space. Um, let me read a few highlights from your career so I'll. Let Listeners get a sense from where you're coming from and, and understand that how educated your, your statements are because you're, you have such a strong pedigree. You studied law at Hartford and did your MBA at London School of Economics in London, UK, and did your first degree in cognitive neuroscience at Harvard pretty impressive, you know, the best schools out there. And then you took that and became a management consultant and at BCG, then started uh, after a while doing that role, started on the road of entrepreneurship, creating and selling your first enterprise in, in eight months, um, successfully creating and sold a digital media uh, company. And now you are in your eighth year running as a co-founder of Healthy Wage, an industry-leading health and wellness that provides cash incentives, social and expert-based support, tools and resources, and goal-setting and tracking technologies to address our obesity and improve um, collective health. Healthy Wage is at the forefront of the weight wagering movement, having formally created competitive cash fuel programs for more than 90 Fortune 500 and other companies, hospitals, health systems, insurance, school systems, municipal governments, and other organizations throughout the U.S., including uh, GE, Johnson & Johnson, and CVS Health. Um, and their pro- your program has been more informally run at more than 3,000 companies and organizations. So I must say that I find everything that you have done from from your education, extremely um, fascinating. And I'm going to start there uh, by asking you, how did you decide to go from cognitive neuroscience to an MBA to law? Well, uh, it's uh, it's a a very uh, academic background. The um, cognitive neuroscience was a uh, personal passion or interest. I, I find the brain just exceptionally uh, complex and, and poorly understood, uh, even now. Um, you know, we have just a, the roughest surface of, uh, you know, what it means to make decisions and, uh, you know, have a, a sort of a larger soul uh, co- uh, concept all encapsulated within, you know, neurons firing in our, in our brains. And, and so personally, I've, I viewed my undergraduate experience as an opportunity to understand some of these issues to sort of uh, fulfill them or, or understand them or learn from them in a, in a, in a per, very personal way. Um, and, however, I, you know, after uh, finishing up my degree, I wanted to do something that was 
um, uh, sort of, uh, I, I decided that sort of an academic route uh, wasn't quite the right uh, fit for me, and so I wanted to have something a little more practical, and I saw health policy and um, sort of the intersection of law, business, and health as a, as a, um, a you know, really interesting and exciting um, entrepreneurial route. Um, you know, in the U.S. in particular, our healthcare system has so many um, uh, areas for uh, disruption. Um, you know, we, we you know we pay the most and, and get the least, uh, or not not necessarily the least, but very poor return on it, our our capital um, in terms of health um, and, and longevity. Uh, and so, to me, that you know, there's there has to be sort of larger structural issues about. You know, how do we, you know, redo our healthcare system? But then also on on a sort of a more micro level, lots of uh, decisions that individuals, uh, consumers make that that could help improve. Um, that you know that that we could help them make better decisions. So I just see it as a, in an area that's uh, over the next you know twenty to fifty years just going to continue to evolve and and change and hopefully um, you know lead to you know better health. Um, for for Americans and also let lower uh, cost uh, at the same time. Absolutely fascinating. I'm thinking as you're talking of so many questions that uh, that I want to ask to build on what you said. But how would you say first that uh, this uh, combination of different um, sciences have prepared you for entrepreneurship? Well, in entrepreneurship. Uh, I don't know if you can ever be fully prepared for, um, you know, you're every day making decisions with a tremendous uncertainty and, um, you know, just trying to uh, do the best that you can um, and, and working with, with very limited resources uh, in order to, to, to do so. I think that, um, you know, the, the, legal, the legal background in particular um, is, is important in this sort of regulated space. Um, you know, if, if I didn't have a legal um, a background, I would feel much less comfortable making a lot of the decisions uh, that I, I make. Um, you know, I think it, you know, basically for me, the legal background is about assessing risk and helping you sort of know, you know, what, uh, how, how much risk is attached to different decisions and, and then pursuing the one that, um, you know, um, you know, optimizes for the, for the risk that you're taking. And so, you know, I feel like every day I'm, um, you know, uh, making decisions with with uncertainty, um, but am uh, more aware of the potential risks uh, and and am able to you know weigh those um, adequately. Uh, if if I didn't have the background, I think you know counsel uh, lawyers in particular always would would assure you you know oh you can't or shouldn't do you know do do certain things. And whereas you know when you understand uh, the risk, um, you know you're able to sort of adequately. Um, evaluate that and, and make decisions uh, around that. I'm thinking of myself being a, a, a risk taker or towards that end more than even when I get advice to um, mitigate the risks, I, I typically don't take it, which just shows that our own thinking and decision-making style weighs heavily in the decision uh, we make. You also talked about uh, the brain not being uh, known, and, and it's interesting to me that um, having done a bit more work, like you uh, from a different angle about how we make decisions and how the brain operates. We know that uh, the brain is such an associative machine. So it's really connecting and firing neurons in a way that creates huge or a network of associations. So um, to many 
who may think that the academic background you have developed or one has uh, developed or acquired, it's not relevant. It's such a uh, misunderstanding of how the brain operates because the brain doesn't say, hey, I've studied this and I can't think this way. On the contrary, it creates all those amazing associations. So probably every day um, you make decisions that are based or are associated to information you um, you acquired through your different uh, academic experiences. We only have like three minutes till the first break, but how did you decide to go into wellness and weight management, David? After my academic background, I continued to have a pulse on the research and the literature um, around, um, you know, um, many uh, health related issues. I sort of read the articles in, the, in my spare time, and I saw a really fascinating piece in late 2008 on the influence of uh, incentives, financial incentives for weight loss. Um, if you have two folks start the exact same weight loss program, and you tell one of them that they'll get paid money if they're successful, uh, the folks with the cash incentive in the exact same weight management program were more than three times as successful at losing weight. And this was research out of the University of Pennsylvania published in JAMA. And, and so, you know, having such a highly credentialized study sort of demonstrating the efficacy of a, of a different approach I saw as very intriguing and, and thought to myself, you know, how can we commercialize this um, as, as a business? And, and the sort of that led us down this journey uh, to develop Healthy Wage um, and, and work with, you know, large companies and help them improve the health of their employees and also give consumers the opportunity to, um, you know, use behavioral economics and, um, and challenges to, to, to drive positive health outcomes. Fascinating. And I can't wait to wait to hear more about how the program come together. Um, who did you collaborate with? Because I know that you brought in quite a number of behavioral economists to uh, support your decisions in how you um, set people up for success. The research you came across greatly influenced, of course, and represented the basis of you um, founding this organization. So tell us more. Um, where did you start? So you read the research and then what? What happened next? You know, the research is, is a very kind of simple idea that if you pay people to do something, they're more likely to do it. But then when you start to unpack the research or the question, uh, it's really complicated. So so how much do you need to pay them? Well, when do you pay them? How, how do you pay them? You know, how often do you pay them? And And so when you start to sort of dive into the, the details, it's a, you know, so to me, that's the exciting thing, that it's a really, it's a complicated notion of, you know, how do you, how do you use incentives and uh, choice architecture to, to drive behavior change. And so we, you know, we saw the research and then we, we um, formed a medical advisory board, um, had a, uh, a chief medical officer on our team who worked with um, a, re- a leading behavioral economist to sort of uh, decide, you know, what approach uh, the company wanted to take, uh, you know, and how we could uh, turn this into a commercial venture to, you know, to apply the research and, and also contribute to the, the science and understanding of, um, of incentives to, to drive behavior change. So we, you know, the first year was really about um, planning or identifying, you know, what tact we wanted to take. And then we, we launched with a, a consumer program. So we were direct to consumer initially um, with learnings that we could then uh, took to the enterprise market. And, and the consumer approach was 
Um, we would allow p- participants or, or consumers to um, make a, a weight loss wager. So they would, you know, make a commitment to themselves, uh, applying that sort of loss aversion principle that you're more successful if you have um, some skin in the game and the threat of loss being a lot more powerful than the opportunity to win. So we'd have participants put a little money in, commit to a goal, sort of a fixed time frame, like I'm going to lose 10% of my weight in six months, and then give them a prize if they achieve that goal. And so, you know, applying that sort of goal-setting technology, um, loss aversion, the ability to win a prize, um, the opportunity incorporating a sort of the power of a large prize, uh, and then sort of social influences or social dieting um, through uh, online technology, um, and, and really learned a lot about, you know, what made folks successful. At, um, at losing weight and, and started to get some initial uh, research and results on, you know, who was successful, how were they successful, and, and what we could, tweaks we could make to make them even more successful at, um, at losing weight. And so that was um, in the first few years of the company. And then after that, we went to enterprise and started to build out that roster of corporate clients that you mentioned, you know, working now with more than 600 county, city, school districts, and large companies across the country using, um, you know, these uh, principles, incentives, um, social dieting, um, uh, you know, financial commitment prizes um, to, you know, to drive uh, positive behavior change. I have a question. It's very, you, you said that you first went to consumers, and, and my thought went to the fact that uh, um, in organizations, uh, people who are part of the same organization have a certain culture and and that culture in and of itself may influence the behavior or how they approach certain things. When you went to the consumers, obviously you had people from different backgrounds and and different uh, professional backgrounds, uh, economic backgrounds. What were your insights? What did you find? You, You looked at what made people successful. What were some of the greatest takeaways or even some of the findings that were a surprise to you, if you remember? Yeah, so we found um, really interesting gender dynamics uh, with, um, with men, um, you know, a lot more successful um, than, than women initially at, um, at losing weight uh, with this uh, approach, um, which we found very interesting. Um, we also um, learned a little bit about um, heavier, sort of the, the degree that, you know, your starting body mass index influenced your uh, success rate. Um, you know, our, our findings was that um, there's some dose dependency with respect to cash prizes that, you know, heavier people need more cash um, to motivate them uh, to, to change behavior uh, in terms of, um, you know, commitment and also uh, results. Um, so, you know, we, we, you know we, there are a lot of sort of population dynamics that we found um, that, you know, it sort of influenced the setup uh, of the program and also, you know, the type of uh, programming that we brought to our uh, corporate clients. And I'm particularly interested if uh, if any more was elaborated, uh, given the people you work with, um, on the gender uh, differences. Any any potential theories as to why men were more successful than women? One um, could just be their likelihood to, to diet, just that women have um, dieted more frequently, and so, you know, men who are sort of willing to or able to, you know, are trying it maybe for the first time, and so they have more likelihood to, to succeed, so they could just be like sort of who's, who's, who's selecting to participate. Um, you know, I'm not sure if that's the most valid. An, an, an alternative is um, the sort of 
there's some innate competition that, you know, men are more competitive uh, and that sort of primal, there's some sort of evolutionary biology um, uh, idea around, uh, you know, men being more competitive and giving them the opportunity to sort of compete um, and they're going to respond more than, than women uh, in, in that type of environment. Um, you know, that's an alternative explanation and you might look to like gaming um, sort of uh, gaming research, um, you know, in, in other situations and, and seeing if there are similar gender differences. Um, we haven't fully explored the rationale or thinking. We don't, I don't think we have a tight hypothesis or, as to why. Um, we've really just sort of used the data and, and incorporated it into our programming, um, but haven't, you know, we don't yet have a, a coherent explanation um, as to why it happens that way. It's interesting to me because you mentioned um, evolutionary um, and and anthropology, um, and I personally find this fascinating because my own work uh, and in decision making with clients uh, kind of proves or supports uh, somewhat my own theory that there's a difference in decision-making styles between uh, men and women and that's somewhat evolutionary or due to evolution um, and the role that uh, women and men were playing in in the early stages of humans um, separated or, or made a distinction between the amount of focus men put. I mean, I find uh, time after time my male clients to have greater focus in their decision making. They kind of narrow down. Whereas women uh, have a tendency to have a broader perspective and each one of them, each one of those styles can become a plus or a minus um, based on the situation. So often I find that my female clients kind of see the point broader to a point their uh, perspective becomes a way to justifying why not do something. Whereas with male clients, once they they may not necessarily agree from the beginning to what needs to be done, but once the decision is to do that, then it becomes so narrowly focused that it uh, allows men to get to the result much faster. So that's why I found your findings fascinating. And and um, I'm going to read more about it and ask your opinion uh, on that for sure. Are there other organizations out there doing the same, David? Yeah, so this is a sort of an emerging industry. Um, you know, we pioneered the uh, the space in, in 2009, following up on the research, but in the, you know, in the past few years, uh, others have seen our success and also seen the validity of this approach. So there's other companies like um, a company called a Diet Bet, um, we, which is pursuing similar paths with, with great success. So I think that, you know, in the, you know, as you frame the start of the conversation, you know, over the next 10 years, this approach, um, sort of a behavioral economics-based approach is going to, I think, dominate, uh, you know, how we think of and um, uh, make decisions with respect to our, our health and, um, and weight. And, and I only see the industry uh, growing um, even more with more players and, and larger uh, success of the different players over the next uh, 10 years. I liken your um, your organization with what Uber has done to transportation and Airbnb to, um, uh, you know, vacations and how people book uh, um, vacations nowadays through Airbnb. Um, what is your company's differentiator? Because uh, those are things that are, are important to um, to 
us uh, the buyers, you know, to knowing what is it that one organization offers uh, over another. So we have uh, pursued an enterprise uh, focus uh, to build scale um, and, uh, as a sort of our initial. So we're certainly uh, direct to consumer, but we've had the most success um, distributing through large um, employers, um, you know, as a way to uh, use this approach to drive uh, healthcare savings and, and also uh, health and employee engagement and, and health improvement. Uh, and so our, you know, I think our enterprise focus has really made us very data-driven. Um, our uh, buyers are, you know, increasingly concerned about outcomes uh, and making sure that, you know, that they're getting good value for their money. Uh, and so, you know, that outcomes focus then translates back to the, the direct-to-consumer product, making sure that we're, you know, really driving uh, lifestyle change uh, as part of uh, our programs. And, and so I, I feel like it's been a very fruitful approach because it, it just keeps us grounded in the science and um, very results-driven. Uh, in terms yeah. of uh, outcomes with weight loss. I personally think that that it's perhaps, uh, given how much time that uh, we spend at work uh, and how committed or how much of our lives we give to our jobs and how we define ourselves through our jobs and where you work and who we work for, etc. Uh, I, I think that it's an amazing uh, way to go about it because, um, you know, we live in a society where, um, a lot of the time, give more way, uh, more weight, and more um, definition to who we are through through the work we do, and to actually have those efforts backed up by organizations, um, especially if the insurance costs go down because people are healthier. I'd like to go back a bit to um, what you were saying earlier and the different, uh, you, you created a medical advisory board, you brought in uh, behavioral economists. It's, um, again, extremely fascinating to me because the organization I created, Trusted Advisory Board, is um, based on exactly the same premise. Uh, a decision is um, of higher quality if it benefits from relevant um, but different uh, input. So tell me more how that happened. What were the conversations? What were the uh, behavioral economists bringing to it? What were the medical specialists bringing uh, to it? How did it help your decision-making path in putting together the program? So we uh, spent uh, about six months, um, you know, canvassing the literature um, for, you know, any, any type of insight um, that, that would be relevant to decision-making, you know, with respect to, to our weight. I mean, because, you know, our weight is, is thousands of, of individual decisions, uh, daily, daily decisions about, you know, do we, do we exercise? What do we put in our mouth? When do we put it in our mouth? And so we, you know, we, um, again, uh, went to a, uh, or hired a chief medical officer who reached out to the, the leading scientists in the space. Um, and, um, you know, we, we spoke with obesity experts. Um, we spoke with behavioral economists. Um, we spoke with um, sort of, uh, you know, folks who are um, uh, nutritionists, um, psychotherapists, uh, personal trainers, uh, and, and really tried to, uh, you know, take the, their uh, backgrounds and inputs to develop uh, programming. Um, so, you know, that would, that would in, inform our uh, decision-making. And we, and we ended up chunking, you know, because there's so many different perspectives. And, and each, 
each perspective is just a little bit different uh, about, you know, what the underlying problem is and, and how to address it. We decided to sort of incorporate content um, from the different, um, uh, you know, uh, more practical um, or, or more grounded in, uh, you know, the, the experts in the space. So we had, you know, we incorporated um, a, a third of our content is, is devo- devoted to food nutrition. A third is devoted to that psychosocial piece, uh, psychotherapist uh, approach. And then a third is devoted to the fitness piece of, uh, of weight loss. And we really looked to the behavioral economists um, to sort of the structure, you know, like if, if you reframe the choice um, and then you provide participants with the, the content um, that these experts can provide, then, then you're going to sort of get the best of both worlds. So in terms of the design of the programs, they're primarily um, a choice theory architecture driven, but the, the resources and tools that we then equip them with throughout um, are, you know, leveraging the science uh, or the expertise of these other um, uh, disciplines that are, you know, more, um, you know, traditionally thought of as uh, as um, applying to, to, weight, to weight loss or weight management. And you talked about the decision uh, to, to incorporate those three chunks. How did you come to choose those as your main sources? I mean, a huge decision in and of itself. And like you said, there is not one decision that is a single decision. It's like thousands of decisions surrounding that very one decision. But just as a way of uh, summarizing, what led you down that path? Why were those yeah, so elements? Was, uh, what the obesity experts um, have traditionally sort of focused on. So, you know, we had... Um, Clinicians who you know who deal exclusively um, with obese uh, patients, um, you know, on a medical advisory board chaired by our, our chief medical officer, and they, you know, when they thought about well, how do we traditionally you know deal with weight loss? Um, these were the the main areas, you know, at, you know, when you talk to a bunch of them, it sort of came out that these were the the main areas of content that they are sort of trying to equip their patients with. Um, and, and, you know, additional resources or, or, or support around. And so that was sort of guided by the, uh, the CMO, um, at, you know, that, that this was an area that we needed to make sure that we provided participants with, with sufficient support or resources um, uh, around. So it was definitely collaborative, um, taking the input of, uh, you know, the uh, clinicians or experts uh, around obesity. What? I would like to ask is um, actually the time that it took you from from early days to having a program, a solid program that you can actually sell to the enterprise, uh, if we consider the consumer part uh, kind of a piloting uh, uh, phase of your project. How long did it take to to create that? And I'm asking also because there are a lot of entrepreneurs uh, listening and I am one myself. And, and sometimes looking back, David, I think, oh my God, it's my second year and I've only done so much. I haven't taken over the world yet. So it's very important to, to look at, uh, uh, you know, to look at the data and to see what other people have done. So share with us yeah. the, the time and the stages yeah, that you went through. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Entrepreneurship is a long journey. There's no, uh, no easy um, or quick, quick solution. I, I think I have a similar reaction where I look back and I think, why am I not here? You know, even though, you know, we're, we're, we've come a very, a very, very long way. 
um, from those initial days. So, you know, the first really two and a half years um, was about building the infrastructure, getting the data, developing the program, uh, building the resources out um, to, to be in a place where, you know, where it would work for enter- enterprise. And, you know, that first enterprise customer that we got was just so exciting from a sort of a small business perspective. Um, you know, oh, wow, people really will um, pay this. They see value here. Uh, you know, you, you just never quite know, um, you know, what, how it's going to be received in the marketplace. And then, you know, very quickly after that, um, enterprise adoption, um, you know, was, was doubling, tripling um, on, a, on an annual basis. So, I mean, it was one of those things where it took a long time to sort of build the, um, create the building box um, for a successful program. And then, uh, you know, very um, uh, timid, you know, going to market and, and, and wondering, you know, what, what kind of reaction. And then, you know, after that, it's really been about scaling and figuring out, um, you know, how to, to bring it to as many organizations as possible, uh, as quickly as possible, um, which, you know, it has its own set of, uh, of, of challenges. When you look back, David, was there a point that, uh, was there a turning point? Was there a point where you felt um, not necessarily confident that this is the right thing or the right approach? You may have had that earlier on, but a point where it felt like, okay, now we we know it's going to happen and it's probably going to happen big. Well, you know, I, uh, entrepreneurship, I think it's, uh, for me, it's two steps forward, one step back all the time. Every, every, you know, every month there's, you know, uh, a setback, but then there's, you know, huge gains forward. And, and I think, again, that first enterprise client, um, you know, where, you know, the, the check came in the mail, I mean, even though it was not a, you know, by any means a, a huge amount of money, it was, you know, it was so exciting um, just to, to see it uh, be, be validated. And, and that's something that, you know, large uh, enterprise was, was excited and willing to, to, to pay for. Um, and then there were a couple of other moments, too, where, you know, we got uh, word of mouth, you know, we had that sort of viral piece where a, a consumer had so much success with the program that they had gone out and just spread the word, um, and then they were referring people like crazy to to take advantage of uh, of the opportunity of the programming. Um, that was also very very positive and encouraging. So, you know, lots of little wins like that. Um, not to take away from the, you know, a monthly or daily even the detractions, you know, where, you know, it, it's, uh, you feel like as an entrepreneur, oh, all this hard work and then something doesn't come to fruition. It, it you know, you, you, you continue to make progress, but it's always, um, uh, the good with the bad. You know, this is personal. Now I'm asking for my own, uh, uh curiosity. Were you at ever point tempted to give it up? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah you know, I, I don't think any entrepreneur hasn't been. Uh, you know, you feel like, do you have the skill set? Do you have the experience? Is there enough uh, demand? Is this the best use of your time? You know, what, uh, how long, you know, what, you know, what's your time frame when you're, you know, you think that it's will be a three to five year endeavor and now you're in, in year seven and you're like, you know, you continue to make humongous progress, but you, you know, you, like you said, you're not, you haven't conquered the whole world yet, you know, so, you know, you're constantly, I think, evaluating the, um, the pros and the cons and, and sort of optimizing the, you know, your resources and your time um, to, you know, to, to put it against impactful um, pro- uh, problems. Um, and, and um, you know, and this is a, you know, we continue to, to see this as a huge opportunity and, and something that we're um, building quite, quite successfully. But you know, you're always, I think, in the back of your mind wondering, you know, are you the right people? Should you bring in outside leadership? You know, those types of, um, of questions. I find uh, everything you're saying very inspiring. Um, 
both because um, I uh, I built a company that that focuses on people's decision making and having heard you. Um, uh, Describing how you came to create the organization and how to create the program, it it confirms that decision making is such a pivotal. In fact, everything we do is decision making, and how much of a difference um, it makes when you have the right input in the decisions you make. So that's on one aspect is very inspiring listening to. The other aspect is um, me hearing you as the entrepreneur who has two steps forward and one step back and knowing for me and for others out there that um, you have to really believe in your product and, and be committed to to it, um, to actually go through the ups and downs and of entrepreneurship. But right now, as I said, David, I'd like to know more about the, uh, the, the program in it of itself, the game people play, and what kind of tools do you uh, do they have access to to make this successful? Yeah, absolutely. So we um, have a couple of different options. Uh, we have both individual and team-based challenges. Uh, participants in an individual program uh, make a uh, sort of a financial investment um, for the opportunity to win much larger cash prizes for losing weight. So they come to the site and they decide, you know, how much uh, cash or money would motivate me to be successful at at losing weight. So it's up to them. It's a sort of a personalized weight loss incentive. uh, And they decide over how many months uh, they want to lose weight and how much they want to commit. Um, So a a common scenario is, you know, someone whose daughter uh, has a wedding, you know, nine months away, and they want to make sure that they uh, look and feel great, um, you know, to share in that day. And so they'll, you know, they'll, um, you know, decide that they want to lose 40 pounds um, over that nine-month period and that they want to win $2,000, you know, if they're successful at at hitting that goal. And they'll decide, you know, how much uh, money they want to, and and we'll tell them how much money they need to put in to to win that $2,000 prize over that period. So they'll, um, you know, evaluate and make a decision about, you know, what, what money uh, or what scenario would motivate them most successfully. And then they'll agree and we'll get them set up. They'll do a, a verification at the start and the end of their program just to confirm the accuracy of what's been provided. And then we'll support them with online and mobile tools for the nine-month or 12-month, or whatever amount um, that they're looking for to help them stay on track. We have things like uh, ribbons that are sort of mini goals that keep them engaged throughout. We have uh, daily um, email, email text blasts. Um, and uh, content um, that are around the different attributes of weight management that we talked about earlier, food and nutrition, physical activity, and the sort of psychosocial piece. Uh, And then we also have, um, uh, you know, uh, tracking and leaderboards, sort of a huge social piece um, to the equation where they can interact with others who are going through a a similar uh, circumstance. And also there's a coach uh, assigned to the challenge that they can uh, privately message or or take advantage of um, publicly. Uh, the coach posts daily tips and they respond to the the coaching. So that it's that sort of reframing their choice, getting a, a concrete goal um, that that's personalized for them. Um, you know, for some people it's twenty pounds, others it's one hundred and twenty pounds. Uh, some people it's you know five hundred dollars, other people it's five thousand dollars. They figure out you know what it's going to take to motivate them, and then we provide them you know the infrastructure to help them 
sort of be successful at, at hitting that goal. So that's an individual. And then we also have team-based programs, which are more competitive in nature, where you as, and a group of uh, participants compete against other teams. Uh, and you want to beat them, and so you harness that sort of thrill of competition um, to you know to motivate you, uh, and then you have the social support of a team uh, whose success depends on your behavior change. Uh, the idea is that um, no one has a, a greater incentive to help you than than your team, who 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 your outcome affects, and and harness that positive uh, incentive to help you. Uh, stay on track or, or, or stick with your goals and then provide your team with the education and the data and the infrastructure to help you be successful. So if you're, you know, tracking your steps with a uh, Fitbit or a, an Apple iPhone iWatch, you can share your steps with your team and, and, you know, share your calories through those calorie counting apps like MyFitnessPal and give your team the data and the tools um, to, to interact with and support you. So that's sort of the, the role that we feel like we're playing, um, helping you, you know, um, leverage that support group to, 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 to be successful at, at losing weight. I, I received a question from a listener, and I think this is a very important question because it's where, one where traditional weight loss programs kind of fail, if you wish. How do you do any... Um, studies or have you looked at how long people uh, maintain or keep the weight off or do they need to stay in the competition? Do you look at that longer term? Absolutely. So we embed a um, uh, maintenance uh, phase into the design of our programs. So our team challenges are three months in nature, so 12 weeks where you have the sort of support of a team and the, and the thrill of competition um, and to help you stay on track. But then we, we have a maintenance phase that's six months. Uh, after the end, so nine months from the start um, that are sort of embedded in the design of the program where you check in at the end of nine months um, and you personally are eligible for prizes separate from your team. And, and the goal is uh, just a 10% weight loss at the end of nine months. Um, so that's a clinically significant amount but also very reasonable for those looking to lose weight. And so we, you know, we give you a concrete and discrete goal for you personally to work towards over that nine-month period. And that we find is very um, uh, effective for participants because then they have a discrete goal, um, you know, that's independent of their team. Teams are, are very exciting and very powerful, as I mentioned, but they can be somewhat frustrating if, if you're not able to influence your team member's behavior as much as you'd like and, and your success depends on their behavior. So we embed sort of individual goals to give both a, a long-term piece to the design of the program but also... Um, uh, you know, it, it give you an individual incentive to, to stick with the program and be successful independent of your team. How about the nine-month uh, term? Any more work? Do you check in with people? Is there phase two or... No, nothing currently beyond the nine months. So, you know, in terms of the design of the program, um, you know, we um, uh, currently uh, finish at the nine-month mark. We don't have anything beyond that. It's certainly something that we're looking to explore, um, but, but currently it sort of goes uh, the sort of the three-month uh, three uh, challenge with the, the nine-month longer-term piece built in. Uh, and again, the, the reason for that is just because the, the individual consumer, although they're interested in and want to make long-term lifestyle changes, it needs to be a, a concrete or discrete goal that they're working towards. So if you say you need to be at the same weight in 10 years, it's just too amorphous a goal to, to, to be working towards. So you need to, to break up the, that sort of long-term 10-year goal into discrete and measurable um, increments. And so, you know, how, how that looks like after 
uh, a nine-month period. We haven't uh, de- quite decided, um, but we, you know, it's certainly um, uh, an issue or, or something that we're thinking about. Sure. Uh, we only have like two minutes to the close, so. Uh, before we run out of time, I want to thank you for, for an amazing segment, uh, which I personally found fascinating. I know that your uh, website is quite comprehensive in letting people know how to engage their organizations if they're interested in that. Can you just give us a high level and direct people to it? Absolutely. So we, our website is healthywage.com. And if you're a large enterprise looking for a way to motivate uh, and then um, uh, drive a positive lifestyle change. It's a fantastic tool um, that you can take advantage of. Uh, there's details on, on how to participate as a, as a company. And then as a consumer, if you're personally inspired and think that, you know, this type of approach would, would resonate with you, you can sign up uh, on our site or you can get together with a team, uh, coworkers, family members, friends, uh, and, and or, or make new friends online and, and compete with them in order to, um, you know, to, to, to drive positive lifestyle change. Um, just, uh, you know, in terms of getting a team together, we do find that families in particular are, are very effective. Um, you know, you have that additional accountability uh, of seeing them at home uh, and, um, you know, the support that they can provide you with. Uh, it's, a, it's a really great way to, to get healthy. Uh, as a as a as a unit, um, and 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 make long term lifestyle changes. And I know you said that you do have some clients in Canada, uh, but I know uh, personally a number of uh, of uh, former clients or even advisors on the board are in the insurance fields. And whether they're uh, aware of you or not, I don't know. But I'm certainly going to forward this uh, segment to them. Um, and I want to thank you again. It's been an amazing uh, segment. I've learned a lot. I've had uh, confirmed a lot why I've created this organization. Um, everyone out there, if you have questions and uh, uh, want to know more, um, David has provided a, a website. We have it on our website. So I wish you all a wonderful uh, week ahead. I hope you had a good time, David. I certainly did. Oh, fascinating. I appreciate you uh, having me. And I, you know, I think that there's a uh, so much about cognition that, that's understood, and it's uh, so great that you're um, looking at that and, and exploring it from so many different angles. Thank you so much, and, and working with people like you inspires me to keep going, so I certainly will. Everyone have a great week, and we'll be back next Monday with another great show on Because There's More. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Because There's More. Join Laura Ellis again next Monday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in because there's more.